Media Project, Conversations with Christian Women. I hope you're having a good summer break if that's what you're having at the moment. Today's episode is a little bit different, a bit of a mini summer series of one, if you like. The interview took place uh, for an event that is held by my church every year called, well, it's usually called Sticky Date and Stories Night because it's held in the winter and we have warm sticky date pudding and hear stories from three women at our church, usually at different um, ages and stages from different congregations. And we just find it's a fantastic event to invite our friends to who might not have heard stories from Christian women. Um, because as these women talk about their lives, much like they do on the Lydia Project, um, they just commend the gospel to people. They they show what it looks like to live as a Christian, to live with Jesus um, as your Lord. And personally, I love it. I love inviting my friends to the event. It's always warm and enjoyable, full of lots of conversation as most women's Christians events are. But the thing I like uh, most about it, I guess, is that when I invite my friends to it, it's really obvious what I'm inviting them to. I'm inviting them to hear Christian women tell their stories, tell about their lives, tell about what God has done in their life. And so in that way, I feel it's a really um, open way of inviting people to share in what I believe. So tonight's interview was actually recorded by uh, Louise Campbell, who interviewed a lady at our church called Lola Anderson. Production was done by Phil Campbell. Thanks, Phil. And I'm really pleased to uh, be able to share this with you on the Lydia Project. to share your story. Your story starts over 80 years ago and I think most of us think of you as Lola on the motorised scooter but that wasn't always so was it? You actually grew up riding a horse. It's a long time ago and it's going back a long way but I've come through a lot of stages before getting to a scooter. Right. But I grew up on a farm till I was about 10 and I loved riding. I just had a pony that was a typical beginner's pony. Okay. I was a bit ashamed of that, but I did ride it. And you rode it to school? I rode it to school. When mum allowed me to go, I walked it first. And then eventually, to my joy, I was allowed to ride. And I was terribly disappointed because I wanted to ride the nine, mile, the nine miles into Tagula War right. to ride in the show, but I wasn't allowed to do that. So where is Tagulawa? Tagulawa was near Esk, about 15 miles from Esk, and we were nine miles out of Tagulawa. And you went to school at Tagulawa? Yes, it was a mile and a half to the school, and it was one teacher school, and we had 13 pupils, with about two pupils in each class. And music was part of your happiness, you said? My brother and I always liked music, and my brother was very keen on music, even though we were young. And um, on the way from school, we used to have a game where, uh, where we sang one, one note, and then two notes, and the other one had to guess what the tune was. But we got a gramophone one Christmas, and it had two, two records, and one was Tex Morton singing um, beautiful Queensland and it had a yodel in it. Right. So I used to think it was very good to ride the horse 
and sing beautiful Queensland and then yodel. Right. Well, I won't ask you to demonstrate that now. No, I couldn't. Life was still happy when by around about 10 you moved to the city? That's right. We moved into Tagoolawar first. And when we came to Brisbane, there was a housing shortage. So I lived at, for a while at Eagle Junction, Sandgate. And then you settled at? Settled at Wilston. Wilston. Mm. So soon after this, the polio epidemic of the 40s hit, is that right? Yes, it was, it was right at the beginning. And that's when I, I contracted polio. So one day you were riding your bike and the next, that afternoon you are in hospital? Well, no, I was riding the bike and then that night, um, that night my leg fell out of bed and I found I couldn't bring it back in. Hmm. And um, I tried to wake Dad and found I couldn't reach him. And, um, and then by morning the paralysis had set in. Hmm. It, it was 10 months before I was able to sit up on the side of a bed, so I was pretty well paralysed. And it was six weeks before I could reach the ring on the bed, you know, the ones they had mm. on those beds. Mm. And um, so my, my arms improved a lot. I'm still missing, I don't lift this arm, uh, I'm missing a couple of muscles mm. of the, on this arm. There's a weakness in one muscle, but this one's missing. And your legs? Um, my legs, I improved more in the trunk and um, arms than I did in the legs. Mm. Everybody was different. So by the time after the 10 months you were in hospital, you, your family had to adapt quite a bit to you coming home. Uh, yes, I, they stood me up at 12 months and um, that was horrendous. <laughs> that wasn't a joy and everybody was everybody was saying, oh, you're on your feet, you know, they were so glad. And when I got on my feet and they stood me there, I thought I'm not going to make it. So when I was on my own, I had a good cry. <laughs> and uh, I had two calipers at the time, which means You've got two stiff legs, and I just couldn't manipulate that well. I would stand for two hours rather than move in front of anyone, <laughs> and I can remember doing that. But uh, then I found I could lock, lock my left knee and take my weight on it with the caliper off it. So I, I walked with that locked knee for many years. But then you'd call it some people thought that you got polio again when there was this downhill, uh, downhill uh, ride, but it's the late effects of polio because the knee then deteriorated. It was worn out, as you might say, mm. and that's when I got into scooters. So polio had obviously changed your options in life. And Indeed. And as the years went by, you probably hadn't even thought at 14 that you'd ever marry, but a young young Don came along and you didn't, he didn't at that time share your faith in Christ, so you turned his first proposal down, I believe. Yes, I did. <laughs> so uh, that was that. But then he began attending church at the Baptist church. And... Um, he went right along with everything that was taught 
and uh, became quite committed. So by this so, stage, he does become a Christian, and so the second time he proposed? Yes, he was very persistent, and, and even in those young days. And uh, yes, uh, I agreed the next time. So I guess that was quite a surprising time of joy for you after the years that you've had since polio. Yes, you? yes it was. You were working as a bookkeeper at this point? Yeah, I was working in office work. Uh, I left that um, the week we were married, uh, but I'd, uh, I'd gone through rehabilitation. And actually, when I got home from hospital, uh, Dad bought a typewriter. So I did a correspondence course in typing and business correspondence. And then I went through rehabilitation at Perry Park when I was 18. And, um, and then I went to work for the president of Rotary in B. Martin in Mary Street, I think. And um, Dad bought a car so I could get there. Right. But, but then, uh, then he came to an arrangement with a customer and it was still, it must have been still the war years, I'm not sure. And so in exchange for this fellow's tobacco ration, uh, he used to take me because he was going in every day with his right. wife. So after you married, you um, you hadn't been given much hope, I guess, of having children, but you have a first child, Glenn? Yes. It was suggested that, that um, it would be a challenge for me and um, but anyway I did have a child mm. and that was Glenn. And you had him by caesarean and then? Yes. You said to me last week that since you were in your early 20s as well as God being incredibly generous to you there were struggles of undiagnosed depression as well. Um, by this time you were heavily involved in the church at Groveley with a different minister and he gave you some helpful tips to... Yes, that's quite true. And that was very important um, because it was difficult in those days. There's a lot of publicity today, but it was quite different then. And I remember going to a conference somewhere and there was all this talk that if your faith was right, you'd overcome. So it, it, was, um, it was shattering to your faith, really. And it was no help whatsoever. And uh, one of the best things Ron McIntyre did, and, and he got me to read the Bible with him, but the, the thing that was most helpful um, was that, because I was thinking, why can't I be victorious like everybody else? And, you, and everybody was victorious. And he said, um, don't try to be like other people and pointed out the verse that said, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. So that was important, that I shouldn't be comparing. And the practical tips, sorry, the practical tips he gave you at that time? The prayer. Oh, yes, and, and he said to me, you find it hard to pray, and that's perfectly true. If someone's depressed, it is hard to pray. And he gave me, I just raked it out, this book of prayers. 
And uh, I know every time I went down, because I'd get a bout of depression, I used to turn to this one on the 27th day, which said, I falter where I firmly trod, and failing, falling with my weight of cares upon the great world's altar stairs that slope through darkness up to God, I stretch lame hands of faith and grope. And uh, further on it says, When the way seems dark before me, give me grace to walk trustingly. When much is obscure to me, let me be all the more faithful to the little that I can clearly see. So that sort of thing mm. was really helpful. So other people that encouraged you to look at the Bible were also your group that met in your home? and That's right. And they were great times. For about 20 years they used to come here and we had a folding ping-pong table mm. and, and we'd have as many as 17 and everybody brought a casserole in the, um, in the winter mm. and we had a barbecue in the summer and then we shared the Bible. And six years ago you had another major setback. Yes. When you had breast cancer yes. and I gather that was that same group of people that have carried you through. Yes, yes. Uh, it's wonderful having a group like that, and um, um, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't too bad till I had an infection, but that really knocked me, and it was the immobility of the um, polio, and uh, plus the operation, and um, I was like a beached whale, Could, couldn't do a thing, <laughs> and... Uh, and it, it was very hard to pray. I was just too far gone. and But I knew others were praying and I felt uplifted by that. I just felt as if my body was lifted up above it all and I rested in that fact, mm. which so, meant a lot to me. So underneath that dark time, you have a deep awareness of the hope. Yes, that people would see me through and, and mm. I'd still have that hope in Jesus. Mm. So... You've often gone back to your little book of prayers over the years and you've joined the church book club and you've still got your good friends you're meeting with every fortnight for dinner and That's Bible right. study. So do you have just some words of advice for younger people here today that might be struggling, words of hope and joy? Well, I think one of the great things of hope is meeting Jesus when you finish this life and um, I just think as I met him and the fact that you're forgiven sin because of him and because his death on the cross uh, and if I met Jesus face to face I feel I think of that hymn um, just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot O Lamb of God, I come. And mm. I think that's how I'd come before Jesus. Mm. Hopefully with a different body. Right. So you can hope to see Jesus and you can hope for a brand new and body. A body. Lola, thank you very much for sharing your story. It doesn't seem very much. Mm.